0: Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitisDifferent.com today.
1: All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And today I have a guest I've been chasing down for a minute now. <laughs> Miss Honeycomb, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. How about you? Good, good. Tawana, Petty, you have gone from the stages of doing spoken word, poetry, and writing as I've met you to now you're like international talking about social justice and rights for our people, rights for women, rights for Detroiters, and just what is just inequitable. So let me applaud you on that.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Yep. So let's talk a little bit about your journey, Detroit. What brought your family to the city of Detroit?
0: Uh, I've been in Detroit my whole life. So um, my grandfather came from the South, just like a lot of folks did with mm-hmm. uh, Henry Ford.
1: The great migration. Getting,
0: getting, the, getting the migration going, right, with uh, uh, making money uh, in the plant industry. Um, and so... I, my family has been here for a few generations and I've lived in Detroit for the exception of a couple of years uh trying to venture into the suburbs
1: okay. um, I've been in Detroit my whole life what what place in the south where where at in the south did your granddad come from
0: So we have folks all over we have folks in Texas we have hmm. folks in uh Massachusetts um, we even have some folks in California um and uh Yeah, those are the ones that I most know about.
1: Okay. All right. Texas, it's rare to find some black folk from Texas up here because usually they'll stay a little bit further west than like being in Chicago or something like that. Yeah. But he made his way up this way from that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and um, his brother did and um, some other siblings and Mm. like my great aunt, which uh, my my grandfather has since passed on, Mm. And um his my uncle has since passed on, but um but my great aunt still lives in her same house for like the last sixty years. Okay. Um, on the east side. Right on the east side. You could walk right up in her house. Okay. Um and uh um yeah, but the rest of my family, yeah, they're still in Texas. Like his other sibling is in Texas, they have a bunch of land in Texas. Our family reunion is actually in Texas. So
1: Wow. Yeah. Where at whereabouts in Texas?
0: Um, they're like Lindale and, um, there's some folks in Dallas, some folks in Houston. They're spread all over Texas, ironically.
1: Okay. And then for people that have not been to Texas, Texas has another type of heat.
0: Yeah. Yes, it's it's, kind of ridiculous. Um, It's probably one of the reasons why I never want to move there. I
1: feel you. Yeah, Texas has. (laughs) (laughs) Your
0: skin melt off. It's that that hot.
1: Texas has a like, you got an
0: outdoor job. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, if you go to like cemeteries there or you ride through neighborhoods there, like it's all our family. It's like our family is everywhere. Okay.
1: Okay. And from that here, what neighborhood here in Detroit?
0: Oh, we've been all over Detroit. Um okay. so we I grew up west, um but it's like my mom's family was most of my mom's family is west. Um and then my dad's family was east, but we have some of my uh mom's family like my granddad's um siblings on the east side, too.
1: Okay, so west side what neighborhood?
0: Uh I lived uh mostly like my teenage years off 7 Mile. 7 in what? and what? Anchester. Okay. Yeah, okay. but went to Henry Ford after after getting kicked out of cast.
1: Okay. I went to Henry Ford. <laughs> Henry Ford, the Trojans. <laughs> yep. So, like I asked most people, uh, like I asked most people, and Miss Herman Davis will definitely like this. Were you over there at Northland Skater Rink? as a kid all the time oh
0: yeah I was in all the fights at Northland
1: <laughs> okay all right so you you were a part of that crew I was part of that crew you were, you were over by the nacho stand messing up stuff and Herman, messing Davis, up. Herman <laughs> Davis and them kicking you out like kicked cannot, out all the time you cannot come back this weekend
0: yeah I didn't I didn't know no better uh, uh you know I was trying to find
1: myself okay so a, and then also <laughs> let me let, I was always wondering this fighting on roller skates is not the most uh no <laughs> okay, you already know where I'm about to go with this. Could barely skate. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the crew of people that can barely skate. You're right. Like, I, I could barely skate for a while. I finally figured out after a little bit, like, not riding the rail or whatever. Yeah. You know, but I never got to, like, skate backwards. And there were some people that really, like, you know, like, like damn, this person is, like, a, a athlete on roller skates.
0: Oh, yeah. I-, I have friends that, I mean, could do dance routines on skates. They was flipping and skating backwards. They was <laughs> jitting on skates. I mean, like I, I I have I knew people that could hop in the air and land on one leg,
1: all that kind of stuff. That wasn't me though. It was yeah, the, that, the that creativity wasn't
0: me. of our people.
1: Yeah. The creativity of our people. So at Henry Ford, what was what was Henry Ford like?
0: You know what? I loved it at Henry Ford. Um I actually loved it at Cass Tech, too. I went mm-hmm. to Cass until like the end of my 10th grade year and then I went into Henry Ford 11th grade and so um, Henry Ford was like meeting up with my whole neighborhood it Uh was you know it was like all your friends there Um, but I met like I said I met lifetime friends at Cass too so I I consider myself a quintessential Detroiter like I'm gonna fit wherever I go in the city Uh, we did move around a lot when I was younger so I lived in a lot of different neighborhoods but um, but yeah, I still there. I, I still uh, communicate with like my third grade teacher on Facebook.
1: Wow. So like, yeah, it's just one of those things. Okay. So moving around a lot as yeah. a lot of young people move around a lot today. When mm-hmm. I talk about uh, being a Northwestern, I'm like you, I started at King, ended yeah. up at Northwestern mm-hmm. and I'm the president of Northwestern alumni. And nice. I often explain to some of the the members, like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the students now are very transient. So they may Mm -hmm. start the semester across the street from Northwestern, but then just due to circumstances and situations, they may be by Southeastern by the end of the year. Yeah. What was that like in high school just moving around as I remember some of the kids Mm -hmm. doing that, whereas now it's very pervasive, but I remember some students in that mix, but what was it for you?
0: Well, luckily for me, by the time I got to high school, um we were v- much more stable as okay. far as like living situation um but uh like going growing up through elementary middle school it that was a little tough because it's like you meet friends you you get to know them and then you're You know, you're gone. Um, Mm. My mother had me really young. She had me at 16 years old and Mm. um, my sister is 17 and her mom died when I was three months old. So she didn't have like she didn't have a mom. You know, they were they were teenagers basically uh, raising themselves at that particular time. Mm. And um, so that was difficult. But by the time I got to high school, really, it was on me. I could have stayed at high school, but, Uh I you know, I had not learned how to channel uh my anger or um or channel like the things that i felt that were disparities mm. into like healthy behavior at okay. that point point. and so yeah um but when i got to Henry Ford, by the time i got to Henry ford um i was still a little bit of a ruckus and some of some of my administrators who i still talk to on social media remember that yes. um but i was always like quote unquote academically smart just uh didn't know how to channel my emotions um but high school was amazing overall and um you know if i was to give advice to young people is like find at least you know one person who can be in your corner who is an adult um in the
1: school who was that person for you
0: oh shoot miss Nunn, mrs Nunn. um to this day i mean i had other uh, other educators but hands down the reason why i'm um, consistently a poet. Um, I was already a poet before I met her, but she put me on like journalism and, uh, and yearbook and just, um, let me come into her room when I had a meltdown and Hmm. just offer, um, a shoulder and an opportunity to, to kind of regroup and like, and recognize that what I was dealing with, I wasn't alone, you know?
1: So just growing through that, and yeah. and in a lot of ways, as they say, uh, with a mother that had you at that age, in a lot of ways, you grew up with your mother. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What was that relationship like as, as you came into your own and, and growing up yourself, like uh, from high school moving forward?
0: It was challenging. Um, you know, my mother... Um, like, we are super tight now, um, but growing up, it was it was difficult. And I didn't have an understanding of what she must have been dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until I became an adult that I was like, wow, could I have raised children with no mother as a teenager, you know, um, as someone struggling financially, uh, trying to figure out how to keep a roof over my kids' heads? I'm not sure. I mean, I struggled and had a bout of homelessness um, with my own son and I had a lot more opportunities than my mom had you know um, at a younger age and so um, it was very difficult growing up um because she was learning how to not only be a mom but she was learning how to become an adult at the same time so if you can imagine I when she was 21 I was five years old my sister was four you mm-hmm. know three and four and so um yeah so it's one of those things where the older you get, um, when you're able to apply like root cause analysis or rationalize and intellectualize like why certain things happen, then you can um, you can mend relationships. Um, and you can start to value the sacrifices that are made for you. But growing up, I didn't have that understanding.
1: Okay. And what was your mom doing at the time? Like what what was her career path? What was she interested in? What was her personality like? Because I'm sure being a mom took up, at such a young age, took up so much time, yeah. but she still had a her.
0: Yeah, she tried to work like as many jobs as she could. I mean, I remember she went through like a lot of, different jobs and uh our um most our stability came when she joined the police department mm-hmm. um and so and I, re- I recall um that there was a kind of like a drug battle on our street um and uh some bullets came through our house uh, mm-hmm. one came through our front door and then my sister and i were laying in the bed And uh, my mother came and dived and uh, we were we jumped up to ask what was happening. My mother came and dived and knocked us onto the floor and the bullet came just right. I heard it come past my ear Mm. Um, and my uncle was already on the department. And so it was that evening that my mother called and said she wanted to join the police
1: department. Okay, so being a police officer, Mm -hmm. black cop Mm -hmm. and black cops have. Lord knows, it's it's a different journey being a black cop. Yeah, what was what was that like? Just witnessing your mom enter that department. So on some on on one hand, it's, it's some financial stability. Mm-hmm. Also, you have especially back in the day when people say that you be a cop, you got benefits, and yeah. you know, like some yeah. of what is glamorized mm-hmm. in the sense. But then you also have just the the racial mm-hmm. dynamic. And then also the gender dynamic. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. She experienced all those things when she joined, um, racism, sexism. Um, uh, you know, I remember she had a motorcycle accident and she was, you know, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for sharing all this information, but, um, but I just remember her coming home and she was not taken care of at that Mm. time. Um, uh, she was m- much more afraid of what was going to happen with the motorcycle, based on like how she was treated. Um, wow! Because and of the property of, because the, of the department property. Yeah. is way
1: more important than the life of the black officer. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I and, and I also just um, you know, it was just, it was literally like 24 hours a day. Um, seven days a week of like people coming to our house, you know, like, um, for her to respond to things. and you know, when you're a little kid, like you don't get it, you know, uh-huh. you don't get why she running down the street at three in the morning or four in the mm. morning. Um, and so it's complicated because i'm a I'm a social justice activist who is consistently struggling against police brutality. I have law enforcement officers in my family, including my sister. Um, and um, but I have I feel like I have a nuanced relationship with that uh, organization Yeah. <laughs> um, based on what I experienced growing up being raised by one.
1: So let's get a little into that as mm-hmm. well. Uh, as many people sometimes have come to me, I mm-hmm. think when it was my first album. Uh, That I had preaching to the choir, Mm -hmm. and that's that's like I had my black fist up song, and some of the younger guys were like, "Man, why don't you like the police? Why don't you like the police?" And this Mm -hmm. is like 2007, Mm -hmm. so this is before I guess the pervasive narrative Mm -hmm. of a lot of what was on social media during Mm -hmm. like 2000, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, yes, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's like because the role and my interactions with police officers. Now with that. <clears throat> I feel the organization itself it, it, it is birthed out of what was uh, slave catching. Yeah, yeah, legacy and, of slavery. And I also think that the pervasive narrative, especially when I was younger, mm-hmm. of crime is a black, a young black male.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Uh, so it creates an adversarial relationship. Mm-hmm. As much as it creates this adversarial relationship, it's more the institution. Yeah. I have a, cha- a challenge, right? Which it's it's streams of thought from that institution that can be implemented as you know injustice, white supremacy, uh, racism, brutality, mm-hmm. uh, where people act upon that behavior, right? And and the the person that's an officer though mm-hmm. when i even put myself in the shoes of the person that's the officer yeah that's completely different where i'm like how do you even rationally do this mm-hmm. because when you are an officer you can just be showing up at what they say is a domestic incident right and that could be the last time you're alive
0: right yeah yeah um, I, you know, my, my sister is on the department, as I mentioned, and I remember like her first week on a job, her coming home, like with blood all over her, um, because, uh, a person was killed, um, that was running out to seek help. And then of course she also had a partner die on, uh, on duty. Um, basically protecting her cause he entered. Ahead of her mm-hmm. um, on the scene, and he was killed, like in her arms, basically. And so, like I, um, I'm very. I I, re- I recall growing up, and every time the phone rang, and even now with her being on department, any time the phone rings at a like inordinate Wait. time, mm-hmm. I'm I'm worried, you know. And so, it's not. This is not to say that, um, like I said, I struggle and resist police brutality on a regular basis, I am I would love to work my sister out of a job and all law enforcement officers out of a job by doing social justice uh, work and, and human-centered work that n- negates quality of life crimes so that people don't feel um, compelled to commit crimes in order to survive. And yeah. not, that's not to say that there aren't some folks out there that need a deeper psychological uh, support or help um, and aren't committing crimes that aren't tied to quality of life. But most crimes can be tied back to quality of life. You're looking at a city where the median income is $26,000 a year, which means that half of the residents of the city are making below the poverty line. So you have families that are unable to afford water, that are unable to afford taxes, which we now know over a billion people in over a billion dollars of missed tax properties went into foreclosure. Um, You have uh, you have residents that don't have viable schools in their neighborhoods and grocery stores with healthy food. And so um, so if we address quality of life crimes, then we're going to need less officers. And I think Unfortunately, right now, the way that the city and most places are responding, not most places, most predominantly black and brown places are responding to quality of life crimes is more mass surveillance, more policing, greater incarceration. And they're not dealing with the quality of life issues that create situations where crime can thrive. And so you have um, folks out here starving and hungry and feeling neglected and othered, running up against officers who are overworked, underpaid, and on double shifts, that's a recipe for disaster. You <laughs> and
1: and also, yeah. As much as you say you want to work the officers out of a job, yeah, the criminal justice system itself yeah. is one of the strongest industries. Mm-hmm. In America, when it comes to black and brown people. So, so the role of, you know, uh, the role of first the enslaved African Mm -hmm. that later became the. convict leasing system. The industrial Mm -hmm. worker Mm -hmm. that now is becoming the incarcerated worker. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh, It's. And, and, and very ingenious in the sense of like, hey, do you want to sit in this cell all day, or do you want to, you know, make a table for Dollar General for you know uh, seventy five cents an hour, and, it's and like,
0: some freedom out of your cell. Yeah, you
1: exactly. Know? And it's like, okay, it's not even a thought process, mm-hmm. you know. But they're e- more but even in that system, that, then, yeah,
0: they're even realizing yeah. that that they that they uh, didn't calculate correctly. They don't have a room had a space for all the bodies that they're yeah. incarcerating. True. And they closed a lot of institutions that could help with like mental issues. Mm-hmm. And now you have sheriffs coming out in jail saying like, hey, I don't have the resources to care for this person who shouldn't be incarcerated. And so like there are a lot of realizations that are happening that I think we need to take advantage of. Um that I, I have to believe even in uh, such a a system as, like, law enforcement and incarceration that folks don't really want to work as hard as they're working. <laughs> um, they don't really want to be in a situation where you don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Any, re- any sane human wants to, you know, don't want to be um, subjected to, non stop violence or the threat of losing their lives, you know, consistently.
1: And and that is what makes this such a it it's so much the symptom. Yeah. And and not the root. It's it's Mm -hmm. so much of the symptom. Because like you say, most of this is it's people that have a lens of survival through what is labeled Mm -hmm. as crime. Yeah. And then in a in America Mm -hmm. where the whole premise of our justice system is based on precedent. Yeah. This is stolen land. Yeah. It's 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 captured people. So it's stolen labor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything that is the basis for justice. Yeah.
0: You're right. Is
1: already corrupt. Right. As we're even witnessing, we have a a sitting president that yeah. talks to the lead attorney general. Right. And on says Twitter. <laughs> yeah, on twitter and, and ask hey yeah. you know what you gonna <coughs> do about my boy yeah like <laughs> don't get my boy charges yeah so it's a slap in the face to even the whole idea of and this then principle. says
0: that he could further intervene if he chooses to
1: yes mm-hmm. so th- this so the idea of 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 the criminalization being a business and yeah. like what may happen of like you know like weird like in-house probation for people and then you just I guess, walk up to, you know, some some manufacturing plant, like you walk over to Amazon and you work off, Mm -hmm. you know, selling that one bag of weed because marijuana is legal and you don't sell legal marijuana now or something like Mm -hmm. I don't know what's to come. But just definitely my gut uh, looks at it as a black man Mm -hmm. is I'm still going to be criminalized because that's the lens of which this society sees me. Right, And the narratives
0: have lined up to support that. Yes. You know, I'm thinking of a city like Detroit where for a literal half century there's been one negative dominant narrative of Detroit. So my entire life, Detroit has been seen in one way. And yeah. so whenever I travel the world, a lot of times I do this exercise where I have folks write anonymously like, What are some things you've heard about Detroit? Yeah. And I always get back and and I don't have them identify themselves, but I have someone else read it out loud. And I always get back, you know, all the things that I've heard. Very rarely is there a sticky note or a, a index card that has a positive attribute to it. Unless, of course, they say something like Detroit is coming back, you know, and I always tell people. When I hear Detroit is coming back, I hear "Make America Great Again." I don't draw a distinction because there is a marginalization, invisibilization, and displacement of a particular demographic which happens to look like me that has to be dis- that has to be removed in order for the comeback theory to be. Um, Viable, And so um, Mm -hmm. when those are read back, a lot of people ask me, like, how can you sit there and endure that? And I say, well, I've endured it in reality for 43 years. So these are words. Right. And words do have power. But I'm letting them know if you feel guilt in hearing all of that. Imagine someone hearing that for 43 years imagine a kid growing up in Detroit and you're taught to get grow yeah. up and get out of here imagine being in a school system where even a lot of educators don't even believe that they're in a viable structure and they're having they're being forced to educate kids in a system that they don't believe in because it hasn't been supportive of them and so the psychology of propaganda has um, has done a number it's done a number on Detroit. Um, and so Definitely. it's gonna take a lot of respiriting um from our babies on up, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. And Including
0: that's what, the officers that are black that are in the system.
1: <laughs> and, and and I love that. Yeah. That, that you're speaking to that. And that's what Detroit is different. But mm-hmm. also what you what you're going to speak to what Riverwise is mm-hmm. as well, and what yeah. the Michigan citizens stand for. Yeah. And some of these different outlets to provide provide a platform yeah. to share a message that's closer in alignment with the people and not necessarily corporate interest yeah. or government interests yeah. that are not in line in alignment with the people and in mm-hmm. reference to policing it's i guess the the statement has been made and i guess even that itself like community policing mm-hmm. just someone more equity amongst the role police play in our own communities where we have relationships with who these officers are, because there are still certain desperate situations Mm -hmm. that you look at it and it's like, damn, you know, this is such a symptom. And I feel like that should be looked at differently. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the, the, some of the things going on as, as I'm, as I'm pulled at, at, I'm pulled at ends when it comes to this, the, the, the legal marijuana debate because right. marijuana for most of my life has been like a a second revenue stream for a lot of people I know. Yeah. That's a non-violent, like that's not so violent of a second revenue mm-hmm. stream, but it's supported some families and some made some meet. But ends they've been meet. criminalized for it. And they've been criminalized, but mm-hmm. it's still been less of of the drugs to sell and what it's going to mean. Like as Mm-hmm. I assume that with legal marijuana, selling mm-hmm. marijuana now will be looked at like selling cigarettes or selling alcohol. So right. probably the penalties will be even more criminalized mm-hmm. and become more of a felony. Because you're
0: not getting it from the system. From, from CVS the or wherever. Yeah. yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I'm
1: saying? When well, you can buy weed at CVS and your yeah. neighbor still sells weed, you know, right. him growing that one plant now is being looked at like, yeah, you know, like.
0: Yeah. I mean, look at Eric Garner. Eric Garner lost his life for yeah. selling Lucy's. Outside of a, a, a institution, a store that, that was sells cigarettes. That sell cigarettes, overpriced cigarettes, yeah. um, and so yeah, you're right. It it, it becomes illegal. Um, quote unquote legal mechanism for further incarcerating us, potentially killing us yeah. um, for something that was another idea stolen from community members who were making a way out of no way. I mean, there's so many examples of that when we talk about the roots of this system. And I think back at like the Panther Party and the free breakfast program and yeah. how they were criminalized for providing resources for a community. But yet and still like government has replicated those very same resources and then make them inaccessible and unaffordable to the very people that innovated the system in the first place. I mean,
1: Um, I, I, I really, yeah. I mean, it it happened with, um, a lot of people are more, a little bit more aware of it mm -hmm. with, um, and I think they're seeing more of the heroin trade, but like technically the, uh, the, the Godfather of Harlem and the Bumpy Johnson story that a lot mm-hmm. of people are watching. But mm-hmm. a lot of that, it was heroin, but it also was uh, the running numbers, as they say. Yeah, but yeah the number The, man. the yeah. number man, mm-hmm. before it was legal throughout most states, yeah. uh, that was the loaning, inst- the lending institution in the black community because banks, even to this day, are not lending anything to black people. Right. And I'm sure that somebody's like, I got a loan and it's a couple of, mm-hmm. but just... You know, the standard of lending, even even though the, the institutions CDFIs. are built off slavery. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> Like
0: we're the literal. Our reason ancestors are the capital. literal yes. reason they have capital. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs>
1: but lending the black people for whatever, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's not even redlining now. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. grandfather clauses It's new ways to basically say you're probably mm. black. So, yeah, we're not going to lend to you. Yeah. But that was what where the number man stepped in in most businesses like most mm-hmm. black newspapers mm-hmm. a lot of black uh, uh like long-standing black businesses i say if they've been around since the 60s yeah and you ask like who's got you money to start your business mm-hmm. chances are they're gonna tell you the, the it number was man. exactly that person, yeah. so you you take away resources like that as you say and mm-hmm. you legalize institutionalize
0: them, them. Yep. yes Yep. Then make people. And then under the narrative, you know, these conflations between like safety, you know, yes. and like uh, security. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like as an example, like, you know, or investment, you know, the lottery is supposed to be going the quote unquote state lottery is supposed to be going to our schools. Yes. Look at the condition of our schools, you know. And yeah. so where is the money going? um mm-hmm. uh, you know mama Joanne watson uh used to always say like the state of michigan owes the still says state of michigan owes detroit so much money like it millions does. of dollars it does and um and because detroit is not advocated for to this Recently, we're getting some advocacy from like out-of-state celebrities and those sorts of things because the demographic is shifting and they're flooding in like young white entrepreneurs and um, into the city. And so now we're getting some advocacy for certain areas of the city. But for decades, nobody, people didn't even want to use the bathroom in Detroit, let alone ensure that our our school systems are receiving the resources they're supposed to receive. Yes. And our neighborhoods are receiving the resources they're supposed to receive. Yes. Or even that we have clean water in our schools, you know. I mean, the fact that a year ago, 52 schools had their water turned off for lead and there wasn't a thousand, ten thousand, three thousand people in the streets. Mm -hmm. um, It's just, you know, it just lets you know that um, Detroit for so long has been deemed uh, a place that can is expendable or the residents within the city have been deemed that way. You know, um, and I think about Elbrooks Patterson, who uh, the Oakland County commissioner who just died mm-hmm. some months ago and talking about, you know, like you should do uh, Detroit like the Indians and throw in the blankets and corn, you know, so like the they openly discussed Detroit in such a violent, visceral way Um which means that they wanted 700,000 black people to just disappear off the face of the earth. Yeah. And then, you know, if there are a couple viable black bodies that, you know, can go along with the system, then we'll allow for them to be the faces of Detroit. And, you know, and that's what we're dealing with.
1: I I agree. I agree on many levels. And mm-hmm. when we when we think about that, I, I want to shift back to mm-hmm. just you and your journey mm-hmm. in in poetry itself yeah. and then how that connected to social justice. So mm-hmm. so when you speak about these things uh and drop this knowledge, mm-hmm. it's artistic as well. Uh yeah. <laughs> you do have a you do have a a, a cultural perspective and it's real information. It's serious. It mm-hmm. it touches people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Um and you said that Miss Nunn encouraged you in poetry.
0: Well, she encouraged me in writing. In writing, yeah. which mm-hmm.
1: led into poetry. Yeah. When did you start performing in spoken word?
0: So so honestly, I discovered I was a poet in third grade okay. with my librarian, um, Mrs. Britton in mm. third grade but um I was using it at that time just to write about like circumstances I was dealing with in like my house mm-hmm. or family or like um trying to um recover from um surviving certain things mm-hmm. um and it was more internalized it was like a coping mechanism um but so when it was I like got, your journal yeah it was my journal yeah mm-hmm. and um you know, I had been introduced to like Langston Hughes and, um, and Edgar Allan Poe and some other poets. And, um, and I felt like, wow, this is something I want to do, you know? Hmm. Um, and then, but when I got to high school, um, Mrs. Nunn, uh, she saw, uh, you know, she took an interest in developing my writing on a deeper level. Um, and so, you know, I was, um, Volunteering uh, or interning with the free press because they would do like um, high school students would write mm. for the free press. And, um, and so she took us to journalism conventions and mm. um, she just really helped to develop the interest that I had in writing. And uh, I ventured out into some poetry spots um, in the city and I decided like I was going to try my hand at like reading some of my stuff out loud. Ooh, that was nerve wracking. I was like, it was uh, so much public anxiety. Speaking. Public speaking. And I had done so many plays in school and I had even mm. sang solos by that time. But okay. it was something about the vulnerability of reading what you've written. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and especially poetry that um, I just, it took me a long time to get up the courage to like really get out there with that. So that probably didn't happen until my like late 20s.
1: Okay. Late 20s, what do you remember? Where were some of the places you would go?
0: So there I used to be a part of uh, there was a uh, place called True Essence um mm-hmm. in Southfield and um and that was uh pretty interesting because there was like a collective there like um there were folks there like uh T Miller and Okay. um and um uh Mike Wright and mm-hmm um feet I, I i forget Mike Phelps uh, okay, so like, um, and there are a lot more, and I'm not naming everybody, but um, but yeah, there were a lot of us that were there that kind of like were coming through this like oh brent's Brent Smith, uh known as blacksmith, and mm-hmm. so there were a lot of us that were coming through um this like performance aspect of like poetry spoken word at the same time, and so.
1: And and a lot of the people you just named, especially like T Miller, Blacksmith, Mike Mm -hmm. Phelps, these they have gone on to do a lot of cultural things. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. And different things uh, like interconnecting. But I immediately say like they had to be like little homies like you were walking (laughs) in on them like.
0: like, Yeah. 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 I was kind of like a mom. I was like really like a mama bear. Um, even uh-huh. though, uh, I still was like in my, I think I was in my late twenties, you uh-huh. know, but I was still like a mama bear. I was a, I was a mom. I had my own son. Um, and so, uh-huh. yeah, that's kind of like the, that is the role I kind of served at that time, but I was still coming up with them at the same time artistically. So uh-huh. we spent a lot of time, um, like writing poetry together, hmm. um, uh, just we we spent hours workshopping like um, we I mean, I can remember some nights us just laying on the floor, like developing our art, wow. like for hours at a time. And so um, it was really it had a tremendous impact on growing like my confidence when it came to art. And my son came up through that, too. I mean, hmm. you know, he he read on stage a few times and then, of course, he went on to debate and now he's in law school. But, hmm. yeah.
1: So from there, what, what's next? How does, how does this journey in spoken word connect Mm -hmm. to social justice?
0: You know what? I, I'm a, I don't see a separate for me. There is no separation. Right. And I think about like the um, black arts movement and I think about like the history and legacy that poetry um, has had on social movements. And um, that is how I've internalized my responsibility. I know uh, the ways in which poetry has kind of saved my life, um, especially Mm -hmm. growing up. And then I've seen the impact that it has had on, Um, On just regular everyday people who have been in the audience um, from women coming up to me in the bathroom crying, like you said, Mm. the thing that I was feeling or even just being in social movement spaces and being able to capture like um, the essence of the movement in two, three minutes, you know, um, there's very, there's a lot of power. I mean, I feel the same way about hip hop. I feel the same way about music. Um, and I think about things like, you know, people sing happy birthday to you, right? Like Stevie wonder version. Um, but like that's Dr. King, you know, that's that's a it's mm-hmm. not just a it's it's not just a black happy birthday song. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there was a lot of social justice um, movement activism that went into, number one, immortalizing that as a hol- national holiday. But like Stevie Wonder's input in that. um, um And so, yeah, so um, and Gil Scott Heron, you know, and so I just think a lot about like the impact that narrative has. And I think that poetry has an opportunity to undo some of the harmful narratives that have pervaded Detroit, especially for so, so long.
1: So I guess now I got to reframe my question to say, Mm -hmm. what was from your spoken word pieces? When was the first time someone connected to you? And said, Hey, I want you to speak at this rally, or I want you to do a piece at like uh an event. What do you remember as like the first time those things connected?
0: Wow, um, I would say around the time Hurricane Katrina happened,
1: and what yeah. was the event and who who came up to you
0: um it was an event at I remember a space was called Hunter Supper Club."
1: And on, at uh, that time at the time, liver noise, yeah, but now liver it's something noise. completely different. Yeah. But most people in Detroit, if you if you've been around for a minute, you remember Hunter Supper Club.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to actually emcee a night there. And um and a lot of like um shoot, Kwame Kenyatta, mm-hmm. uh Ancestor Kwame Kenyatta and some others came into space and they actually asked, um, they had heard a poem that I had done, um and I can't recall it now to this day. you know, I'm getting a little older now, mm-hmm. but I was talking about Hurricane Katrina being like, um, I had compared it, um, to like a slave trade and like us being like, us uh, uh, loaded up and discarded. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just the way that it was written. Um, and they had asked that I perform that again and like pull together a few poets to, mm-hmm. um, to kind of uh, connect to social justice.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, w- do you remember where that event? What it was at? Hunter's, it was at Hunter so Super Club. So they did it yeah. there. Yeah. They you came got some, there. And Some some people together, and it was like, okay, we can do this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: All under the premise of something connected to the social justice for Hurricane Katrina.
0: No, no. So um, that was one of the poems, but they had asked that you know folks could write about whatever they wanted to write about and so I gathered to I actually gathered together some comedians too I believe like Mike Larry was part of that and Josh Adams was part of that um and so yeah um just bringing together some artists who uh could either talk comedically about movement but in a like respectful responsible way and um some poets yeah
1: Okay, so you shift not only to doing that work, but Mm -hmm. also like in connecting like the production element of it. Yeah. Working with artists and production is always interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that is the I feel like that might have been my moment where I've shifted. I, I think I've done way more of that. Um, over the last decade or so, then I have actual performing. Yes. Um, so, so, um, yeah, I'm always gathering together different voices um, and different energies to, like, uh, create some sort of movement. Mm hmm. Yeah.
1: And what would you say for the person listening? And mm-hmm. then also shout out to Kwame Kenyatta. I need to release his full interview. I may combine both. But oh, um, nice. Uh, shout out to that whole family. Uh, yeah. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. and a poet himself, actually, too. Mm-hmm. So that w- that would make sense. Nope, that. he did. Okay, okay. Nope.
0: And I remember running into him in Mississippi. Like, I went for uh, Jackson Rising several years ago. And uh, just running into him on the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what What are you doing here? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here now. And I was like, what? So uh-huh. that was interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, um so the the when it comes to organizing this, you're learning as my journey is kind of like your journey in this mm-hmm. sense. Like you're you're learning things in a Mr. Miyagi way like you don't know how this will connect. Right. So that shifts more into organizing around social justice as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it is really like um, it's kind of like a scaffolding. Right. It's like if I put this piece here. And I put this piece here and I put this piece here. You know what? These pieces will go together good. And it's like it's almost like a puzzle all the time. Um, mm-hmm. and so um shout out to you, like you participated in the um the annual art art festival and artist retreat that I do now mm-hmm. um in Idlewild. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like sometimes rejection breeds activism or social justice. So Um, As a poet, you want to be accepted in certain types of spaces sometimes like art retreats and like different um, fellowships and things like that. And so even though I have like a now 20 year legacy of like writing and performing and those sorts of things, I've written several books I'm not always accepted in particular spaces. And it might be because I take such a strong social justice lens. I don't know. But uh, regardless, I felt that I needed to create a space where artists could feel more welcome um, mm-hmm. and would not be subjected to some of the scrutiny that happens when you are um, pursuing a quote unquote elite spaces. And so Um, That was really the heart of like the premise, the premise for organizing that um, space was like, I don't I don't need to test people into something that I know they do. Yes. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so,
1: yeah. And, and and that is in Idlewild it was really cool um yeah. cool experience it was definitely a learning experience because it was like I had to go out get a new board <laughs> oh, to no. do the sound and deliver for Maliwap but it is what it is it was dope yeah, it yeah. worked well a lot of good synergy great mm-hmm. performer um great great people uh that were that were a part of that yeah um and it was cool cool synergy i actually yeah. got the chance through you to ride up with mama and neb she yeah. rolled with me but
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> so yeah
1: so building these visions and mm-hmm. putting this together what was the first cause where you're like entrenched in? because it's been many things like right now police surveillance yeah mm-hmm. and uh the the way that We're foregoing many of our rights through, like, I guess, like these goofy green light systems and just, you know, Facial recognition, drones, yeah. All types of stuff. But what was one of the first causes that connected you to some of the work? And now you really work alongside uh, the Box Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, You work alongside... Man, this yeah, is going to bother me. Byp
0: one hundred, ACLU, Detroit Justice Center. Yes, at Detroit Community Technology Project, Detroit Digital Justice Coalition. Uh, you name it, it's a lot. Um, yes, it's a lot. Um, because coalition work to me, coalition work is is paramount.
1: Explain what a coalition yeah. work is to you.
0: Yeah. So you know, there's been there's been a lot of um talk over years and constantly about like silos like you know everybody's in their silo and people need to get out of their silo but I'm not necessarily a person who thinks that you have to drop what you're doing to come over here and do what I'm doing Mm -hmm. I feel like um, uh, one of my um, comrades and you probably know her Lottie Spady Mm -hmm. she always says um, it's better to be an inch wide and a mile deep than a mile wide and an inch deep and so, you know, be rooted in the in the inch that you have. And at some point it'll connect under the earth. It's like mycelium. Right. And so wow. it's like you don't have to you don't have to come over here. And everybody pile up for this day at this thing, because that's the that's surface, you know, A lot of times that's not what you're most passionate about, so you're not going to stay and sustain that. But if you stay and sustain the thing you're most passionate about and you build out from that, then we can connect on the things we're most passionate about. And so all of those um, organizations that I named take on very different aspects of the same struggle. Um, And so... You know, and I see that same type of work in, like, the water struggle. Mm -hmm. I see that same type of work in education. I see – so we have to strengthen all of those um – Those movements and those organizations. But it doesn't mean that you have to stop what you're doing and come over here and do what I'm doing, you know. And so, yeah, that um, but but the the conversation on like the conflation between like safety and surveillance or safety and security takes us back to like the rooting, like we were talking about the history of police and the history of criminal justice system. And um, it doesn't allow for us to have the imagination we need to create true safety because we've conflated what safety is with sur- surveillance and policing and security.
1: And we can get a little into that definitely mm-hmm. uh, as more of this debate of what artificial intelligence means. Mm-hmm. And to me, yeah. <laughs> as somebody that works in technology uh, yeah. with what I do with media stuff, right. it hides behind the veil of being above reproach. Right. Of being above questioning. Yeah. Because it it's 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 the classic lens of of this Western idea. Mm-hmm. Uh usually a white male dominated idea of mm-hmm. like, well it's it's not me. We can it's it's it, look it's the at the system. videotape. The, it, yeah. It, I, I I can't control that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's replicate. I mean so artificial intelligence is literally like Programmed algorithms by people,
1: and that whose right biases
0: there, are programmed into the algorithms,
1: and that right there yeah. is what a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. That yeah. it's still a person controlling this. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, still the man at the end of the matrix. Like yeah. it's not as if this is just. You know, it it can't be random in design. We have to touch it. It's not neutral either. No.
0: So like this question that like data is neutral, algorithms are neutral, artificial intelligence is neutral. It's not neutral. Not at all. It's programmed off of our biases. And so um, I do a lot of speaking to like masters in data analytics classes. Data, data, different data scientists all around the world, and I tell them to always remember that that point zero one is, it represents millions of people, like it's not just a dot and a zero and a one. These are people on the opposite end of these formulas and these things that are being created. And so, number one, we have to pause and ask ourselves, do these things need to be created? That's That question is not happening extensively enough in technology spaces. There's always something being thrown to solve a a situation and the situation hasn't even been scrutinized to the degree like number one root cause analysis. How do we get to this situation? Yeah. And do we need a technological fix for this situation? Probably not. It might be a conversation between two people, you know, that could fix or resolve a situation. Like right now,
1: uh, me and my friend Brandon Jessup, I'm sure you may know BJ, too, but uh, he put up a post. Cause mm-hmm. he got a text message from, uh, from someone from Michael Bloomberg's campaign, which mm-hmm. I'm sure was a bot. Mm-hmm. And I got that same text message, and it's right. like, will you be supporting Michael Bloomberg? And he said no. And he he respond, and then the bot triggered a, why won't you? And then he said stop dot and dot frisk, dot, mm-hmm. and it was no response from that. I, right. I just responded hell no, and they didn't <laughs> even send the. <laughs> but right. but this form of like. Mm-hmm. Right in the shadows of yeah. what we looked at in the 2016 election of mm-hmm. like what campaigning can be yeah. as campaigning is shifted from just television mm-hmm. ads as people are watching television much, much less. Right. To what can be used as social media, not a text messaging. Mm-hmm. And and, and 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 what's being shifted and even I know in my responding to that bot, mm-hmm. I'm into a greater system right. of what will go on. And God knows what I signed up for now that's following, you know, what I look at on Instagram. Right. And Michael Bloomberg now is gonna pop up in a uh you know, in your like email. a lot of old school rap. So, you know, the right. next thing I know, Red Man is gonna be like, I'm Bloombergin. Right. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> man likes Michael Bloomberg. You know, I mean, but this is Yeah,
0: that's it's that pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's non consentful, right? And so exactly. um I one of the things that I've I've been working on with a teammate of mine, Una Lee, um, who is part of the Consentful Technology project is we're writing a consentful technology curriculum. And so we hope to release mm. it by March. Wow. And it talks about these non-consentful technologies that minimize our autonomy, that minimize that take away our civil liberties. Like we cons- we understand consent on everything but technology, it seems like. And so like the fact that you didn't ask for that text message, the fact that you you didn't ask for the email that they're then going to subscribe you too, because they they'll figure out how to use your cell phone to connect to your email the fact that you didn't consent to the mailer that you'll get because now they've connected your phone number to your email which then tied to your address yes you know and so it's just um it's a it's a sort of like it's a forced consent to be part of a system that we've been giving less and less opportunity to opt out of. And so that's why I'm so opposed to one of the many reasons I'm so opposed to Project Greenlight and I'm so opposed to facial recognition as an example is because it is giving us less and less autonomy over our bodies and our minds, how we think, what we see. Um, and it's pushing us away from creating true safety. And so sure. if I barricade myself up and I and all I'm doing is looking through my screens all day at people who live on my in my neighborhood, um, I'm never going to get a chance to know the people in my neighborhood and I'm going it's just going to reinforce fear. Um, And anxiety. And so and then it also doesn't It's social control, because now you're going to behave a certain way. Once we get so inundated with the cameras, now we're at about six close to 600 around 600. They're pursuing four thousand. I believe, it. you know, and so you'll get to the point where now you're socially controlled, like the way that you would behave. You're not going to behave because you're going to know that you're being watched all hours of the day. And it could be normal behavior. And so if you compare it to China, as an example, where they're under a social credit system where you are now how we have credit, you know how you have your credit system, which yeah. is uh, you as um I say, your credit connected to money. Yeah. yeah, it's connected and but you are but you actually have to apply for something as an example in order yeah. to be rejected. Well with the with facial recognition, with mass surveillance and social credit system, you won't have to apply. You'll just walk out, they'll know, oh, this person didn't pay that debt. So they're not even allowed to come into this institution. Mm-hmm. Oh, this person owes oh, mm. such and such. So they're not allowed to buy a plane Access ticket to, to go here. Yeah. Oh, and think about redlining. Oh, this person is not of high quality. So we're not going to even let them apply for a home to live in this neighborhood. And so yeah. that's what's happening in China. If you throw, if you throw trash into re, uh, recycling into trash, your social credit score goes down. Once you get to a certain social credit score, they publicly shame you. So people, there are photos of people attached to their score in the public square. So it's, all, it's like a flogging. It's like yeah. a, it's, um, it's kind of like how they do us with the water shutoffs where they spray yeah. paint blue lines in front of your house so that everybody knows that your water's been turned off
1: or, or eviction notice it's
0: going notice. to be evi- eviction notice taped to your door yeah. so it's 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 a um it's a public humiliation and um and a way of forcing you to comply with a system that everything in your psychology is telling you is wrong yeah but they'll so, use your face now and and now in some instances your gait which is how you walk so if you cover your face they will have already Um, identified your gait so they can tell by the way you're walking if it's you or not
1: okay now (laughs) Mm -hmm. now you're getting into uh, as people (laughs) say I'm getting into my Joe Rogan zone of of (laughs) me being a conspiracy theorist no this is all factually but but I've had this discussion about the coronavirus a little Mm -hmm. bit yeah but who's to say especially with what I can do with cameras and I'm not even the best graphic designer or animator right I, from this interview alone, mm-hmm. I can take and and size up you saying things that you did not say. Right, yeah. I can take that walk. I can take that gate. I can take that face and put you in a place right, where that you... That you
0: weren't, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, if we rely on the system to be truthful, but mm-hmm. it's not honest. Right. So, like, kind of in the coronavirus, it's like, how do we know all these people, quote unquote, have this virus? Yeah. What is the... And then it's like, if they're saying that this is a quarantine-based virus, mm-hmm. who, who's the... Who's the body that sanctions what viruses are quarantined? Right. If all the symptoms are the regular flu, what if this person just has yeah. a regular cold? Yeah. And it was more so I was And if you put them in a room with
0: 100 other people yes. with a cold and you leave them for 30 days, everybody's going to catch a cold. that's exactly what I was going to say <laughs>
1: about that cruise ship right. where they said that they locked these people up for 30 days. Yeah. And I mean, I'm such Not a... Now
0: all the staff is getting sick and everything. Or furthermore, getting, who's to yeah. say
1: through the ventilation system they didn't put the virus in it? Right. I, mean, I yeah. don't know. Or if one person had it, now yeah. I'm really going to have it. You you right, lock me in a yeah you lock me in a you know it's like this I'm is, not sick, but now I'm locked up with a bunch of people that are sick and and I speak to this because, as you say, fear, yeah, fear is one of the number one things that I think obviously ties to us foregoing our freedoms, it's true Li- being old enough and living through what nine eleven was, yeah, and we remember what the airport was, like I remember when I, I remember I was a kid. walking
0: over to Canada,
1: yeah, when I was younger, yeah, without
0: i d yeah, like yeah, stuff like
1: that, like <laughs> yeah.
0: I now remember, you get pulled out and scrutinized by border patrol.
1: Remember you're your, like your family, you landing and your family being right there at an airport and welcoming you and all yeah. of that stuff. Whereas, yeah. but yeah. we forego so many freedoms for mm-hmm. like, okay, what's the mitigated risk of this happening again? Right. What, what, what creates the standard of, but we're responding so fast mm-hmm. to fear. Yeah. And, and I would go. And
0: stigmatization as, too, because think about it. People go like, well, if you don't have nothing to hide, then you wouldn't, like, why do I have to have something? First of all, everybody has something to hide. Trust me. There is something you don't want everybody and their mama to see. You got that uh, right. <laughs> yes. But why is that the, why is that the, um, where we, where we land? Like, yes. why is it that you have to be a criminal to want privacy?
1: And, <laughs> and I, I just, I just and, think, and
0: I use the term criminal loosely.
1: I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, But furthermore, like I I will question whether these videos can be trusted in the first
0: place. Yeah. I mean, you see deep fakes right now. Now they've innovated deep fakes where they literally can, like you said, with just a couple of little measures, Mm -hmm. um, automate a whole interview. They could take this entire interview and make it Tupac. Yeah. You know, and have Tupac saying all the things that I'm that saying. saying. And yeah. that technology exists. It's not completely. it's not futuristic. It's right now. It is and completely. so it's very dangerous, which is why we are fighting this, which is why there are so many bills um, in the legislation that is trying to prevent these technologies from being used by government and law enforcement. You know, it's harmful enough to have an individual faking who you are, you know, on their own little yeah. private whatever. But when you put that in the hands of law enforcement and government, then you're talking about about a whole nother thing you're talking about people being able to falsely be accused on a level that we've not seen before we already have a lot of folks being exonerated 40 years after being convicted of crimes Mm -hmm. they didn't commit um but we're talking about a degree that hasn't even been thought of yeah you know with these technologies and
1: just take take certain people off the video yeah put certain people in the video yeah uh you know i mean this stuff is i mean i have audio i have adobe premiere
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i can i can through my own technology i can right. take people in and put people out yeah. put in green screen based technology yeah. do all types of stuff and i mean I I'm imagine
0: not, that at the hands of like
1: yeah at the level of le- like a yeah. person that really has a insidious reasoning behind why mm-hmm. which, you know I, mm-hmm. I it could be it could be crazy just even with like back to the police officer thing yeah. that's why their cameras never work when they're killing people
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you've seen that. Like, um, there are some laws being passed where, like, those cameras have to be on, like, 24 hours, like, not 24 hours a day, but on on the onset of you entering a space and then you leaving a space. I just watched a special, um, I forget what the TV program was, but it was talking about these raids that were happening with these little kids. And these little kids were basically terrorized and not just a handful of little kids. Like this was like hundreds of kids over a period of time. And in all the instances, like the camera would shut off and then shut back on when um, folks exited, like they were interrogating Uh little kids. Um, And see stuff like that.
1: I mean, it's, it's, Man.
0: But that's the psychosis that happens when you are um when you are so intricately involved in a system that is just dishon- like the system is not honest about what the system is exactly and it's so no, it's like it's, it's no not- we
1: can't like let's put it like this it's not one for one we can't just we don't have access to a to a camera channel where i can just turn on and look at donald trump all day
0: right exactly no look you at don't my mayor all day look right at my governor all day right you exactly know? so
1: it's not one for one so no, it's, it's like not. for me as a citizen to have that balance yeah then but
0: they've leveraged fear to convince a lot of citizens that that's what but the, to we me want. that
1: would be the only basis that would yeah. be my prime argument i'd yeah. say if you're willing to allow us 24 7 access to you yeah you know with no with no no problems with audio and video then mm-hmm. hey then let it be and then we get to decide who the contractors are that put those cameras in right you yeah. Know, then I then we can have a talk. Like that's that's reciprocity and right. that's fairness. Yeah. And then I definitely that whole argument of like I don't have nothing to hide is not about to be. Yeah. One of those arguments. They'll say, well, there's certain things are privy that the government privy to the and government and, needs and, to have. And then it could be yeah. dangerous to the you know uh, we have infiltrators and it's like no. Well mm-hmm. then I have infiltrators too. <laughs> certain <laughs> right. things dangerous to me. <laughs> you're right. afraid of russia i'm afraid of the guy down the street I right don't yeah <laughs> i don't yeah. want him knowing all my comings right. and goings yeah yeah you know so the uh that would be my primary argument this mm-hmm. is great discussion as it yeah. comes close to an end i got to ask you classic detroit is different questions and yeah. i want to bring you back mm-hmm. and you and not just anybody that you think is welcome to detroit is different this okay. was a fun experience hopefully you had some fun yeah
0: too. i did thank you
1: so Classic Detroit is different questions. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, how do people get in contact with you? If they want to support you, if they actually you're like me, if if they want you to perform somewhere, you mm-hmm. rarely perform. I rarely perform now. But <laughs> if they want to see you on stage. Yeah. How do they get in contact with you? Uh,
0: I think the best way would be to go to pettypropolis.org. So P-E-T-T-Y P-R-O-P-O-L-I-S dot org.
1: Okay, and then they just email through there and say, "I want to book you." Yep. Or I want to support you. I want to send you some bread. I want to send you some cookies. I want to uh, be a part of this. Yeah, you want to send me some bread. Uh,
0: it is Cash App at T H Petty.
1: Okay, <laughs> I will. I would definitely put that in there. If you want to support, please support. She's making a move today, so you may end up buying a um buying a new lamp. Right, lamp <laughs> is a good. Lamps are cool home, uh you know, uh, I love new lamps. Home gifts, yeah, because I know just in moves, people often forget it, you know, and they they're light up you know they just have that light, the room light is the only light, yeah, know. so classic questions, uh, what was your very first car, uh, year making model or what year did you get it?
0: Uh, my very first car was a my mom gave me uh her Honda Civic, okay. And that was, uh, was probably about mm, 18 or 19.
1: Okay. Yeah. And how long did it last?
0: Not long. I had a car accident wow. <laughs> on 7 mm. Mile. Mm. Um, it wasn't my fault. My mother thinks it was, but it wasn't my fault.
1: You realize that, yeah, at yeah. 18, mom, even yeah. if it's not your yeah, fault, it's it your wasn't my fault. Like, you
0: should have known it was oh crazy. Oh, my God. It was crazy. And it was so bad because I, the person... Um, Someone slammed into the back of me Mm. and then my car did like a 180 wow, um, and it crashed into a Mercedes Benz on the opposite side of Seven Mile. And the owner of Mercedes Benz was in a hair shop uh, getting her hair done and she came out. I'm hanging out of the car like I'm literally hanging out the car trying to catch my breath. And I'm like I, I wasn't like. I was beat up like more of the sense of being really sore, uh-huh. um, and she said, "I hope you can pay for this car."
1: I know exactly like, that's what she. And she was like
0: nobody helped me like <laughs> they didn't help me up. That's or, that's what's I'm so, like that yeah. is
1: crazy. Good that you walked away I was a teenager, safe.
0: yeah, and, and then
1: and yeah that that was that was testing the flex of that that insurance for your mama, right?
0: Oh yeah, it did it, that was woo yeah.
1: Oof! Yeah, <laughs> ladies, <I know laughs> right
0: on is. the corner of my street too. Uh.
1: ain't mm-hmm.
0: that something? Yeah.
1: Did, did the person hit and run? Yeah, they didn't stay. <sighs> Even worse. Yeah. Even worse. All right. So you're the DJ at the end of the Detroit fireworks. Mm-hmm. You're playing three songs, um, and you're at Woodward and Jefferson. What three songs are you playing?
0: Oh shoot. Uh, well, one of them has to be Aaliyah something. Like I obsessively play Aaliyah all day at so you work, pick and they A get song. on my nerves. Um, they say I get on their nerves with it. Um, let me see, what Aaliyah song do I want to play? Um, shoot, I can't. I I don't know. Play? Can I play? Can I play the whole?
1: You gotta play. Yes. Are you that somebody? I assume because you know. But.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I so it's it's such a complicated legacy now. It's because I know sometimes my mind have me thinking like, well, she's singing to R. Kelly on this song? But anyway, uh, I uh, <laughs> it's complicated legacy. But uh, I will say, I love at your best. Um, okay. And I love um, a four page letter. I love. Um. I, yeah, I, okay. I'll say I play at your best.
1: Okay. There we go. And and her version of an Isley Brothers classic. Yes. I love it. Yes. Okay. Another song. Um,
0: Okay. So this is going to be funny. Mm -hmm. I love Renegade. Okay. Um, Jay-Z and Eminem
1: okay I thought you was gonna say baby shark or something no no this is you gonna clear the firework
0: I love love renegade I actually throw that track on when I need to hype myself up because I'm about to make a tough decision or I'm about to go in and like board of police commissioners I'm about to be advocating for the people so I gotta be like never been afraid to say what's on my mind yeah you know I I love it
1: okay so renegade (laughs) I love it
0: Um, and then I would say thirdly staying with Detroiters oh my gosh so I love this song um uh i think it's called up in smoke um shoot uh what's the name of this group I'll have to I
1: have you to You mean uh is it is it The Full of Smoke from Christian Full
0: of Smoke yes
1: yeah. It's like I their interpretation lo- of um Marvin Gaye's um 'Cause it was so funny because I love that song too. My yes. dad was like, That ain't nothing but Marvin Gaye. Right. Like, but
0: it's just something I listen to that song a lot. And so yeah, I would be all I would be over to Gavin. i will probably open with the Aaliyah, uh, move into the renegade and then calm everybody down <laughs> with yes. The Christian.
1: Yes. Yeah, full of smoke. I love that. Um there Christian's uh I guess Ode to Marvin Gaye's inner city blues, but yeah. just just like a cooler, so more like thicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And the video is dope too.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But for all my Motown heads, Inner City Blues is a pivotal record. Yeah. Just music history. sure, You know. All right. Last question. You could rename word after one Detroiter. Who is it and why?
0: After one Detroiter. Mm. Oh, this is her. You know what? Actually, I would probably name it after Mama Joanne Watson.
1: There we go. I yeah, love her to death.
0: Yeah, yeah. Love she, her to she, life, she I deserves. She deserves many more flowers while we still got her.
1: Oh yeah, the 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 person of uh, <laughs> letting it be known on record. Right. I did not vote for that. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah yeah oh man thank you so much thank you peace peace
0: detroit is different is where you get information
1: artistry history
0: music and even comedy detroit is different a home for the
1: culture of detroit visit online at detroitisdifferent.com today